Welcome to Explore to Evolve, the travel show to inspire you to make your life the best adventure. I'm your host, Vivian Dams, world traveler, digital nomad, best-selling author, and your coach to live life fully. I'm so excited for you to be here today. Thank you for sharing your time with us. If you like this episode, please leave a five-star review so that more amazing people just like you can find us. This is episode number 18 with Hosanna. Hosanna has been traveling around the world for almost four years with her now five-year-old son, Matteo, writing and sharing her story of losing her partner to suicide, as well as her own personal journey with grief. With over 25 plus countries visited together and countless adventures had, she has made full-time travel her and Matteo's lifestyle. She plans to continue traveling the globe as well as her journey through the uncharted territories of grief and eventually publish her work in progress memoir. Welcome, Hosanna. I am so excited and so grateful that you're here. Thank you for sharing your story. Gonna be probably one of my favorite episodes so far. I'm so excited that you're here. Hi, Vivi. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. <laughs> Hosanna's in Colombia right now. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and your story and what you're doing in Colombia right now? You've been traveling for a long time and we'd love to know a little bit more about your story and your background. Mateo was actually half Colombian. His father was Colombian and a U.S. citizen as well. We met in the United States, but then came here. Mateo's father passed away four years ago. He had a lot of depression and a lot of problems with his family, and he eventually he decided to commit suicide. I decided to like move, like in order to move forward physically, like to get out of that like depression because it was like really overwhelming. And I had a baby. He was only a year at the time, and I decided I was going to book. A trip and we were going to go travel around the world and so I bought a one-way flight to Spain. Mateo was 18 months at the time. He had just turned 18 months the day we left. We started traveling and I thought it was just going to be for a year and so we went hopped all over like all over Europe and we didn't even do it in like a very um, economic fashion like there was no strategic <laughs> planning there like oh this country is close to this one it was just wherever I felt like. And he was 18 months, so he was a lap child, so I didn't have to pay his ticket. So for like those first six months, we just like boing binged everywhere, wherever we wanted. Parts of Europe, Morocco, Egypt, Israel, Turkey. And then, then I got really exhausted from traveling so quickly. And then I took a break in Spain for a month and then went to, back to Colombia for a few weeks and then went to Thailand and then Bali. And then we just like kept going. And so after a year came around, I was realizing like, I actually have no incentive to stop traveling. I have no mm-hmm. reason to stop traveling. I love traveling. I like this lifestyle. It has been such a really awesome way for me to process grief. And it's not like people always confuse like, oh, you're just running from your grief. I'm like, no, you can't run from your grief. It's like with you wherever you go. But it was also a way for me. It's, it's a healthier way for me to process it because I don't feel like like I'm always surrounded by something amazing and beautiful and I can like process through my grief without feeling like I'm in this cave basically, or this like stuck in this cave and I can find reasons to move forward. I can find adventures for Mateo and I to have. 
mm-hmm. that like makes life still like life is still meaningful. Life is still beautiful. Like we can still like move forward with this, even carrying our grief with us. And so we just kept traveling and it's been, I think this July will be four years. That's a beautiful time and a lot of adventures that have happened in this time. Yeah, we've been to, I think together, him and I have been to 25 countries. And a lot of those countries we'd been to like multiple times. So really in total, we've probably been over 30 traveling in the last three and a half years. But yeah, and Mateo has basically grown up on the road. (laughs) That is so beautiful. How do you think it has impacted Mateo to grow up in so many different cultures and literally live a life of adventure where every day you just get to go out and explore and live life the way you want to live it? Yeah, I definitely believe that it's made him more like open Mm -hmm. and in the sense where he is very friendly. He makes friends very quickly he always loves like doing exciting things. For example, in Mexico, it was during whale shark season or the very end of it. So we went on a tour to do to swim with the whale sharks and he's just uh, four and a half at the time. And we were in the middle of the ocean and it's kind of intimidating to like jump off a boat in the middle of the ocean and like swim with whale sharks. And at first he was like, you could tell he was kind of scared. He's like, whoa. And everything's like super high paced, like jump, 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 go, go. Here it comes, here it comes. Like, it's like very, like, as soon as it comes, you jump off the boat. And he was kind of scared. And the first like dive in, he like, just like freaked out. And then we like took him back in. And then the second dive, he's like, okay, I got this. And then he like jumps in and then we swam on top of the whale shark. I mean, like not on it, but like above it, above the whale shark. And it was like such a really cool experience like he loved it and it was like he conquered that initial fear and he got to see like whale sharks and he loves like sea animals for him it was like seeing something that he loved in person and it was huge it was one of those things that he like even still talks about how it was a really cool adventure for him like one he conquered a fear and two he got to see an animal that he always loved yeah and they're massive like when you see them you like actually get intimidated by them by like how big they are especially when they come towards you or like a little bit up and like almost touch you and you're like oh my god where am I supposed to go I know like when you jump in and then you put your head down and it's like the mouth is coming straight at you it's it is very scary it's like oh like yeah and I think maybe that's why he like freaked out the first time because it was just that was his first view of it um but yeah so just even like those experiences or in, in Argentina in Cape Town, he actually went to daycares and he was like in Argentina, he was like surrounded by the Argentine culture in South Africa. It was like of all colors and not like there was Indians. There was um, like black South Africans. There was like white South Africans. There was other people from other places and they were just all integrating together. And they like, there was no um, like, well, they, I think they all spoke English. So there was no language barrier, but it was just like, just fun to see how kids can easily like cross like cultures do you plan on continuing to travel for many years or for the foreseeable future yeah for sure I I mean if it were up to me I don't think I would ever stop traveling I know as Mateo gets older I have to take more into account what he wants Mm -hmm. so if he feels like he wants to go to a school like we would probably come back to Colombia and put him in school here but if he doesn't want to do like traditional school, I'm not like really big into when you have to go to school for 12 grades and get this piece of paper. Mm-hmm. I'm more of like, you learn as you travel, like world schooler or unschooling. 
like I am teaching him how to read right now. And we actually practice math a lot. So it's not like he's like lacking in education, but if he's getting more of a world education by experiencing, experiencing cultures and experiencing like all these things that normal kids don't like in the long run, he will learn more and he'll want to learn. So I guess I'm instilling a love for learning into him. Mm -hmm. And once someone has a love for learning, like they can learn anywhere, anything. That's right. And I feel it's so much better to learn from experiences and through traveling than from sitting down and like just reading a book. It's such a different experience and not as impactful. Yeah, for sure. Especially look, I mean, even if we read a book and then we go and we see it in real life. Yeah. Um, he sees like we went to Egypt. And so when he was, he was not quite two. So he doesn't remember any of it, but he has seen the photos of him being there. And he has this really funny um, kids book that he loves. And it's about like Egypt or a mouse that goes to Egypt, or I guess it's a cat that goes to Egypt. And he's like, I've been there. I've been there. I saw that. Like he may not remember it, but he has this identity that he like knows that he has been there. And so I think that it like to see the world come alive. And actually, I want to go back to Egypt when he's a little bit older, like next year, maybe. (laughs) So like he'll even remember it more. That is so good. I love going back to places. And, you know, when as you get older and as the places change, still memories come up, even though you don't remember them right now. When you go back to the place, there are certain things that trigger your memory and you remember. Yeah, I know I have like a lot of people have asked me, like, why do you travel so much? He's so little. He's not going to remember any of it. You should save the really cool things for later. But the point actually of traveling isn't so that he can remember everything. It's just so that he can experience amazing things. And his, like looking back on his childhood, his main feeling towards that is going to be, I had a really fun childhood. Like, I don't remember it all, but I know that I was happy. Yeah. I know that I did like really fun adventure things. And I know that we always like had these great experiences. And I just had the feeling of my childhood is looking back. Like it was a happy childhood. Yeah. And it's also for you, right? Like you are also enjoying the time with him. You're actually spending more quality time with him and you get to experience his reaction in the moment, even though he might not fully remember it later on, but you will. Oh, for sure. I like, it has been the most, like I traveled a lot before having Mateo. I like what, like all around the world, but having him as like my travel companion has made it even more like this is, these are my favorite travels I've ever done. Traveling, I've traveled with a group of people for a year, like 11 different countries, 11 months. And it was fun, but there's nothing compares to sharing that joy and love of seeing like amazing things with the person you love the most. And just seeing the way that he views the world and sees the world and the way that he gets excited over things like makes me enjoy that location or that place or that moment even more. Yeah. Do you feel traveling with Matteo and exploring all these different places has helped you on your journey with grief? Yes, I definitely feel like if I would have just stayed where I was, like in my parents' house and in the middle of rural Indiana, like my life would look a lot different. Not every country, like in the beginning, especially when we were traveling really fast, it wasn't like I was enjoying everything. It wasn't like, Mm -hmm. oh, life is still beautiful. It was more of like, I can see that it's beautiful. It doesn't really feel beautiful right now. And even at times it felt like having this like amazing dessert in front of you, but you couldn't taste it. But like you knew it was there and you knew it was like eventually like you would be able to take like you remember the taste of it because you've had it before. But it was like the slow process of like getting your taste back. 
in a sense. And that's kind of like what every country and, and especially in the beginning, every country kind of had like it brought out a different like side of the grief. Like sometimes it was just like really, really sadness. Sometimes it was like anger. Sometimes it was uh, numbness, not feeling anything. Um, and so, and like all of these, I know there's like all these stages of grief and like none of them have, they don't like work on each other. They just like happen at random points. Grief is really messy. Um, but as I was traveling, especially in the beginning, I was writing a lot. Like every memory I could remember of Mateo's dad, like every part of our story, every part of like where it all went wrong or where like the best times or the worst times, like just writing it all down in a way helped me feel like I didn't have to, like it was a way of it, it preserving it all. Like I didn't have to rely on my memory anymore and I didn't have to like keep dwelling on it like over and over to try to not make it disappear um, or to like forget because I think the scariest part um, you're going to start forgetting memories. You're going to forget details. And it just feels so terrifying because you want to hold on to every piece that you can of that person, like the good, the bad, everything, like you want it all. Mm-hmm. So for me during those first few months and years, like I really like wrote down a lot of that. I even like wrote down like, like in the, the country that we were in, like what we were experiencing and like how it connected to stuff that happened in the past. And so having that all preserved kind of makes me feel like it's easier now to like, keep going with my story and like keep living my life and not having to like 100% focus on that grief. Would you say that now traveling helps you focus more on the joy and getting that taste back that you had, you know, forgotten for a little while? Yeah, for sure. I think there was a shift probably around year three. Mm -hmm. There was a shift kind of where I started traveling again, because I wanted to go to those places. Like Mm -hmm. I had never been and I wanted to actually go for me and to experience that. And it was less about even processing, but I went, I left, I was in Colombia for seven months and that was like the longest period in these last four years that I had been in one place. I was like ready after that seven months of being in Colombia, like being in this place that like pretty much is like the epicenter of my grief is Colombia. It's like where it all like started and ended. I left Colombia and I decided that like I had already kind of started building a life here in Colombia. I started making my own friends, like things to do and people to see. Like it was like I was rebuilding my life here with like these crumbled bricks of the life I once had. And it just felt really good. And then I decided, okay, like I feel like I'm ready to like keep traveling and building my life back again. So travel kind of had a different feel. I, I actually started working again. I started, well, I was teaching English, but then that did not (laughs) did not love that. <laughs> um, yeah, I taught English online for three months while we were in South Africa. That after Argentina, um, Argentina, actually, I did a lot of writing, a lot of like memoir writing. I had um, a writing buddy and she was writing her memoir and we were, I was writing mine. So we were like exchanging and sharing and like that really is awesome to have that accountability. And then after Argentina, I decided I wanted to go to South Africa because I had never been and I always like wanted to. And I really love South Africa. Like Cape Town is beautiful. And Cape Town, I just, I don't know, I fell in love with the city. Um, I kind of feel like I had a life again. Mateo went to daycare in the afternoons. I worked for three hours. I picked him up. We rented a car, drove across the whole country and went on a safari. 
that was really fun. And I went with a friend and she just was not expecting. That's what a safari was like where you drive around for hours and <laughs> you see animals from really far away. It's like, she had different expectations. Like it was, um, it's not a zoo. <laughs> like it's not, <laughs> like it's in the wild. Like if you can like get that in your head, like you're in the wild, like this is fun. She had her daughter with her and I had Mateo. It was just a really fun. And like, even that safari was like one of the coolest experiences. And then after South Africa, I went to Thailand because I love Thai food. And then I went to Bali again because I'd been there like two years before. But like, interesting enough, my second time in Bali, I realized like, this isn't so great. Like, I like Bali, but like, I think I got Bali belly like two times. And yeah, and it's rough. Like the first time we were there nothing, it was like totally fine. It was this Mm -hmm. magical island experience. But I also think the longer that you stay in Bali, the more that you start to see how commercial it is mm-hmm. and how like it's set up for Instagrammers. Yeah. Like we like this, um, those, I think I really noticed it with those gates that people always take the gates of heaven <laughs> or whatever. And like, mm-hmm. it's on the side of a road and the road is like, there's like a gas station across the street and it's like this not nice area. So it's like whatever type of area, but they make it look like they're in some like remote jungle with these gates in the mountains and like, not actually if they if you like look around you're like oh yeah <laughs> it's, it's like really underwhelming and that's a lot of what Bali is like there are some really cool things in Bali I love the waterfalls the waterfalls are actually as cool as they look in the photos but a lot of Bali is very commercial and a lot of it is just like really good photo <laughs> yeah it's like you have to know from which angle the picture is taken to get a good shot because <laughs> if you take mm. it from a different angle it doesn't look as magical anymore <laughs> exactly and so like even in some cafes I'm like oh I've seen this cafe all over like Bali and I go there I'm like the food was all right it was really hot and sweaty there were mosquitoes everywhere like (laughs) it really isn't as like cool and magical as you think but it really it has its own charm it's a really cool place but it is not the most amazing place I've ever been like that's my opinion of Bali most people will love it and if you go for just like a month or something you won't see underneath the Mm-hmm. You'll just see the makeup. You won't see what's underneath, you know, like any of the flaws of it. But yeah, after Bali, then we were coming back to Colombia and that's when the pandemic hit. And then we were stranded, literally stranded in the United States. Like we could not even leave and we couldn't go anywhere else. <laughs> but that's kind of like where my journey of traveling for myself started. It was like Argentina, South Africa, Thailand, Bali. Recently we were in Mexico and I actually really love Mexico. Like I had never been to the Riviera Maya and it's beautiful. Now I get why people go there gorgeous yeah but absolutely. it still wasn't wasn't as easy for you uh traveling with with your child Matteo as you had expected maybe or as it used to be because of the pandemic right yeah the pandemic has definitely changed how easy it is to travel for sure because a lot of places you need a PCR test and that is always stressful figuring out something a, a lab that's going to get the results back to you in time even just to get into Colombia we were in Miami and we needed PCR tests the only like reliable lab that I had heard of that would get it to you within like 24 to 48 hours was like an hour away. So I had to like run a car, drive an hour, take the test, like drive back and end up being like $300 worth of like renting car and tests just to get into Colombia. I know there's like places all over Miami that you can get the test done, but nobody was giving me like concrete, like, will it be back within 96 hours? Everyone's like, who knows? It could be four or five days. We don't know. And so I'm like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I know I'm not willing to take that risk. Like, so I wanted somewhere that would say, yeah, yeah, we'll get it to you within 24 hours or 48 at the most. We got to Mexico and then there was this rule that only one person can enter the grocery store at a time. So we like just got off the plane and got the rental car. We drove down to Tulum. 
I needed to buy like food and water. We had just checked into Airbnb. And so then I go to the grocery store and it's like, oh, you can't enter. And I'm like, well, what do you mean I can't enter? And like, no, only one person at a time. And so then I'm like trying to figure out a grocery store that will let me. And I didn't realize it was like this whole like state thing. I just like, maybe this is just this grocery store. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. awkward. And so then I like go to another one and they say the same thing. And so I'm like driving around trying to find a grocery store just to buy water. That's like when I like made a wrong turn on a one-way street that like wasn't marked and I was following my GPS and it was like the minute I, oh, there was also this cop behind me that's been following me for a while. I think they were like waiting for me to make a mistake because they, they go and they look to see if your like tags are like tourist visa or like uh, Mm a rental car. So they know you're a tourist. So he was like following me for a while, but I'm like, okay, well, I'm following my GPS. Like I'm not like making a wrong turn. And then the GPS says turn left. So I turn left. And instantly I realized as soon as I had like made that turn, I'm like, oh wait, this is a one way and it's the other direction. And I like stopped. It didn't even like go down the street very far. I stopped like right away after like making the turn like on the side and the police like, oh, got her. And I like jump out. Oh, you're in the wrong way. I'm like, yeah, I realized that. And they're like, well, well now it's going to be this fine and you have to go down to the police station. And that's what I was like, can I just pay you? I know this is how this works. Can I just pay you? <laughs> like, I really don't want to like, try to find a police station now I'm just trying to find a grocery store that will let me in and like told them my story and they're like okay yeah you can pay us and we'll make it a little less we'll show you a grocery store that you can go into so they like drove me to a grocery store they they got the police got out and like asked the person hey she's alone with this kid can she come in and they were like yeah I'm like it's fine so I'm like there was some like niceness about what they were waiting for me to make a mistake after that I ended up asking in the Tulum girls group if like anyone could watch my child while I went to like the grocery store and I had so many people say yeah yeah I'll do it I'll do it that like solved that problem which was really nice is Mateo good with other people like just hanging out with them yeah you know he yeah he's fine he loves he loves people he's not really shy so if I told him oh someone's coming to watch you he's like oh cool (laughs) <laughs> a new um, person to play with yeah someone new other than just like you mom <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no he has no problem like with that transition he doesn't really like going to daycare that much or to like school that much because he doesn't really like rules <laughs> <laughs> there's like a structure at daycare there's like a structure can't do this can't do that and he's just used to like roaming and doing whatever he wants during the day especially in Argentina the way they structured their daycares So they have classes and everything's like on a time schedule. And he just wanted to play with like all the toys in the room. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, 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 it's not toy time. It's this time. And he (laughs) just didn't, he hated it. So he always like butted heads with his teachers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) yeah. So traveling is definitely a really good creative outlet for him and a better option than sitting in school or daycare and following the rules. I feel like traveling has ruined him for like normal standard education. <laughs> Which is fine too, because now he gets to be this like free human who gets to live life how he desires to live it instead of following the norms and the standards that are made up by society. Oh yeah, exactly. I was actually homeschooled. My parents, they homeschooled a lot of my siblings until I was 16. I really actually wanted to go to public school my whole life. It's kind of like you want what you can't have type deal. And at 16, I like convinced them to send us. And so they like, fine, I went my junior year and I really liked school because I actually liked learning before then. We didn't really do school as homeschoolers. We were Mm -hmm. kind of more unschoolers. (laughs) (laughs) My mom like did her best, but she had a lot of kids and it wasn't like, 
we didn't have some like curriculum that we had to sit down every day and do. It was like, did you do a school? Yep. No, <laughs> like, <laughs> but we did grow up next to a library and I read and I read and I read so many books, nonfiction books, fiction books, like adventure stories or like history stories. And I think that's what really instilled my love for learning, but also my love for like adventure and travel. Mm-hmm. just seeing from a young age how big the world is and how much there is like I could never be satisfied living this small town rural Indiana life do you feel reading all these books in the library on an early age helped you to really develop your own writing style because it's so beautiful and so unique maybe I think definitely writing or reading definitely reading helps when it comes to writing I feel like I've been developing my writing style though, because I started really blogging when I was in college, just like writing down my feelings and experiences. It's definitely gotten like, you get better the more you write and you kind of, you get more, you understand your writer's voice more. Like you learn your writer's voice. Like some people, it just comes like instinctively. They have this like natural writing voice and they can write like hundreds of thousands of books. For me, I feel like it, I like developed it. Like I didn't even realize I didn't even know what my writer's voice was but then as I like tapped into like my writer's voice (laughs) my story and using like my emotions in it and like description yeah so I definitely think reading does help but in some like some ways reading other people's books makes you realize like that's not your voice I mean you read a book and you want to like emulate that you want to like cop not copy it but like it inspires you to write that way but that's not your natural writer's voice and so writing becomes a lot harder Mm-hmm. So for me, I guess I focus instead of trying to like read a lot of books to like find my writer's voice, I just try to write more to find my own like style, my own writer's voice. I did read a lot of memoirs and I actually read Wild. It's the one where she like hikes the Pacific Crest Trail or whatever. And it actually didn't really like the book that much. <laughs> I thought it was really flat. And but reading that, reading that book and realizing like, oh, like this book is a national bestseller and like whatever. I'm like, if she can do it, like, like I can too. It like gave me some inspiration to actually start writing. But the part where she talks more about her memoir, like I just didn't connect with her. Like I didn't connect. I didn't feel it. And I realized that's like super important when you're to write in a way that people can connect with it and feel it. Otherwise it just kind of feels flat. Do you feel that writing so much and really using it as a creative outlet has helped you on your journey with grief as well? Yes, for sure. I think writing has always was a way for me to process my grief in the beginning. It was a way for me to like write it down what I was feeling. And even sometimes like when I couldn't write about anything, I realized I wasn't even feeling anything. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't feel it anymore. And I started to realize like, okay, I'm in this period where everything kind of just feels numb. I think I just was just even a few months ago when I realized this, like I can I don't feel this immense sadness. I don't feel this like immense, like joy. I've moved on with my life. I actually just feel nothing. And I'm not sure if that is a good or a bad thing. When I was like trying to write, I was, it was very reflective of that. And I realized that was my state that I was in at the time. I just stopped writing. I was like, okay, like if if I'm in this state where I can't feel anything, I'm not going to force it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to like try to conjure up these emotions just to have a good story or to have like a good piece. But, um, it definitely helps me when I write to know where I am in the process of grief. While you're writing, it really surfaces up the emotion that you're not consciously aware of. For sure. It definitely helps. It surfaces what I'm not even aware of. It helps me identify it. And I think a lot of 
what would be really important from a therapeutic perspective is like, if you can identify certain things, it mm-hmm. makes it easier, address it and like, not let it control you. I know for me, like when I was in Argentina, I had like really bad anxiety and, you know, the heart palpitations and like, am I having a heart attack, that type of anxiety. Um, and it was really bad, but then I, and I couldn't, I'm like, I don't know where this is coming from. Like, I feel fine. Like nothing that like, super terrible has happened. And I couldn't quite pinpoint it. I'm like, I'm in Colum- I'm in Argentina. Like there's nothing wrong with this country. I like it. But then I feel like I got really honest and I could pinpoint like, okay. And it helped me like realize there was something that was like underlying, figured out what it was. And once you like identify it, it kind of loses its power. I identified what was triggering the anxiety because at some point I was like, I don't know what's triggering this. But then I realized, okay, this is what's triggering it. It made me feel this way, which now, and I've been suppressing it and now it's coming out as anxiety. So then like the anxiety no longer was as powerful. Like, oh, I know that the root cause and it kind of just like trickled and went away. Yeah. So like even just writing about it, cause I was writing about it first and realized like, oh, this is what triggered. This is, it was like the series of events. This, this thing that happened in Colombia, then I, went to Argentina and it like seemed like I had left it behind me in Colombia, but it wasn't like, but writing for sure helps me to identify like certain things that are triggering. And it helps me to manage like even anxiety because we all, I mean, everyone has anxiety. Well, everyone has anxiety to some degree. Yeah, that is so true. Do you have the feeling that your journey of grief is getting better and better? And at one point, it's like behind you or do you feel that certain things will always come up? I feel like with grief, it's not like you ever move past grief. It's you just learn to live with it every day and it becomes a part of you. It's a part of who you are. It's your story. And so it's not for me, my goal isn't to like move past it. My goal is to learn to like live with it. Like as you are on this journey, you just get stronger and stronger and you could bear it easier. But it's always like, I, I saw this analogy. Um, someone was talking about grief. It's like your grief is like really, really small and you just feel it there. And sometimes it's really big and really broad and you don't even really realize it, but then something will happen and it'll all of a sudden it'll be triggered right back. You'll be like right back into this like feeling of it. And so, and that's just like the nature of grief. It's like things will trigger and come back the further, like in the beginning, it's very raw, like it's very raw and painful. And the further that time passes in a way that it doesn't heal, but it does help you to get like, like the growth, like as you like gain that muscle to basically handle the grief, it gets easier. What has helped you on the days where you're like, I can't handle this, or I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so anxious or not, don't, not really understanding what, what's happening, what has helped you see the light and just move, move forward and keep going? I think all of the whole reason why I could even keep going in the beginning when like it was at its worst, like it all has come back to my faith and like my belief and knowing that Andreas, Mateo's father, like I know, our, I know our story. I know what happened in his final hours. I wasn't there, but I also know that because of my faith and because I believe that like Jesus showed up, that he is with him, that he is in heaven. And I have that peace and I know that it has helped me to move forward. So I don't grieve as in like some way like he's lost forever. I'll never see him. I have this hope that I will see him again and that I know that he's there. And it's, it 
having that in the very beginning that that's a whole other like podcast story like like everything that led to him like killing himself and in those few hours before he actually passed away but i do believe that god showed up in those few hours while he was like in between life and death i know that he did and i know like the day that it happened like so much happened that has just been more and more confirmation like like god is like giving me more peace and more confirmation and just things that are unexplainable but had ha- like happened that i know that he's with him I know that he's in heaven and I know that I will see him again. So I feel like having that as my foundation moving forward, I don't grieve as like all hope is lost. I don't grieve like, oh, like trying to keep him just in the past in the memory. Like I know I'll see him again at one day. And I know like Mateo will see him again. And I know like without that hope and assurance, I don't know where I would be. That, so, is, a, that is really powerful. Yeah. So that has definitely been the center of as I grieve, yes, grieve, even having that hope doesn't take away the pain and the sharp edge of like grief, but it does give this sense of it's not the end. And in a way actually strengthened my faith even more, like to realize, like, I guess even as I traveled, I've always had this feeling of a safety net around me, like knowing that God was there, like he was like protecting us. Like I could do these extreme things with this 18 month old baby. I could travel the world. And I had this sense of like assurance that like, I'm not going to like end up one of these horror stories on some article, you know, you read them. Like I've always known that like, as long as I stay within like the safety net of grace that like God has put around me, like I'm fine. Like I don't have to fear all these terrible things happening. I mean, it's not like I don't think about it. Not like I don't, I'm not aware that those things happen. It's not like I don't even have anxiety before I book a trip, but it's Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, I know that it's going to be fine. Mateo and I will be safe. Like I'm making smart decisions. And yeah, my faith has basically been the basis of everything. And on top of that. That is amazing. Thank you, Hosanna. What does living life fully mean to you? Living life fully. I think that what makes your heart come alive, what it's not even in this pursuit of like happiness, that isn't even like living life fully. It's more of like living life, doing the things that make your heart come alive. And And I've actually come to realize that it's different for every person. Some people don't want to, they they couldn't fathom living the lifestyle that I live because they want, they want something completely different. They want a house, they want a family, they want consistency, they want the same routine. And to me, that feels like, oh, that's so like awful. (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) I never want that for them. That's what they want. And I've realized like, even like some of my good friends, like Mm -hmm. we have totally different like life goals and we have totally different like perspectives on what it means to live fully at the end of the day i think living fully is just what makes your heart come alive like if it is it a family like is it having a family and like raising a family like i i totally respect that and that is totally like living a full life for me i want a family but i also want to travel so that's what i'm doing i'm traveling with my family <laughs> me and mateo And that's what makes my heart come alive. But even more too, like I want to start doing more humanitarian work because Mm -hmm. that's always been my heart to do. And so I've actually been learning Arabic. I've been taking lessons for the last seven months because I want to do a lot of work in the Middle East eventually when it opens up again. (laughs) And that's such a difficult language to learn. Yeah. Yes and no, actually. It's like different words, but I honestly sometimes think it's easier than um, Spanish. Like I speak pretty good Spanish. Okay. I speak pretty good Spanish, mm-hmm. but like it's the same format as Spanish. Mm-hmm. 
but for me, the to learn like the present past and future tense in Arabic is easier than learning the present past future tense in <laughs> like I still struggle with all like those tenses in Spanish, but in Arabic it's been a lot easier. It it has it, there's more of a system to it that's a little bit yeah. easier. It follows the same rules, whereas in Spanish it could I don't know. <laughs> I know in Spanish there are so many different forms, but in Arabic you have all the like um the writing is so different that you have yeah. to learn that whole thing as well. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't even really tapped into that yet. I've just been learning more um, speaking. Yeah, well, that's so, what like, you need. Yeah, yeah, that's the most important. So I can like speak and I can write it in like Latin letters, but I haven't really tapped into like learning the Arabic letters. That's exciting. But yeah, to circle back around though, I think living fully alive is, yes, doing what your heart loves, um, learning a new language. And for me, it's also like giving back in a way like humanitarian. I want my life to be more than just oh, I traveled the world and had these amazing experiences. Like I want to actually do something like in the world as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think the next season of my travel is going to look more shifting towards humanitarian work. Um, and now Mateo's older, I think it'll be a little bit easier when he was yeah. a baby. It's a lot demanding just to have a baby. So all I could do was travel and have a baby. But now that he's a little bit older, I definitely want to focus more on like countries that really need help. I don't know if we'll go to Syria right now, <laughs> but like there's a lot of places in the Middle East that could use like assistance. And I know there's a lot of organizations, there's a lot of even churches and Christian organizations like based in the Middle East that do a lot of aid. I know before I had Mateo, I was in um, Jordan on the Syrian border and we were just helping this one church in this town where all the refugees had flooded to. And we would go like hand them beds and food and this cooking stove and these gas tanks. And we just drive around like all night because they had to do it at night for some reason. I mean, there was a reason why it was at night. Yeah. And just like handing out all that type of stuff. And I really loved that. Not because I felt like actually that trip showed me that what I was doing, I had that trip really showed me how little as a person I am contributing in a sense. Like, yes, I can go handle all these stuff, this bed, but when I sat down and talked to the refugees and heard their stories, I realized, wow, like they've been through so much mm-hmm. and they have so much trauma. And like, I don't feel like I've just fulfilled my do good checklist or whatever. It feels like I just like gave somebody a penny and they needed a hundred. It really feels like there's so much more that I could have done or could do or want to do. And I think that's that experience is what really pushed me even more to want to do more humanitarian work specifically with refugees and in the Middle East. So that's coming up. That's exciting. Hasana, where can people find you if they want to follow your journey, read all your beautiful posts? Because the style you write in is just magical and so beautiful. Where is the best place for people? Um, So my Instagram is where I am mostly active. Like you'll see my stories and my occasional posts, which I promise I'm going to be more faithful about posting. Uh, It's a well-traveled mom. And my website where I have all my blogs is awelltraveledmom.com. I mostly on that website have a lot of like the early journey, like the grief and the two places I am currently at online. Perfect. Thank you so much, Asana, for your time and for sharing your journey with us. This has been so amazing and I'm so grateful for you being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me.